and, and Craig went with the hat. I, yeah. Is the hat bad? What no, do you think? I like it. It's a new well, look you know, for you. I, I haven't seen the hat look with you, so I, I, I like it. I'm you know pro. Hey man, this is supposed. This is we're supposed to be ourselves. It's like bringing yeah, 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 yeah. or something. But um, no, I've been dying since yesterday because Matt threw out. Did you um, have COVID? Well, we threw that out already. I still <laughs> actually no. I'm I'm I've the uh, Claire, who's Matt's wife, um, and I talked, and she's like, uh, "There's someone honking outside." So you, hopefully, we can't hear it. We can't hear it. You're good. Hang on. That's going to happen a lot. Welcome to GTM Unfiltered, hosted by GTM veterans Judd Borco, Craig Rosenberg, and Matt Amundsen. We make talking business fun and sometimes funny. That's because we're always unscripted, unfiltered, and unlike anything else out there. Get ready. I got to say, though, he looks like he's going to go play golf. And knowing Craig, I don't ever think he would. Yeah, I don't. I, I, he and I've never broached the golf topic, largely because I'm not a golfer. So I, I don't know. He's a, you know, he had a very successful exit. So he is a, a country club member. But so maybe he's taking it up, or maybe it was just in the, on the back burner. I don't know. I, I you had me at successful exit. That's why I love telling people I've been a part of many exits, and they're like, "Any of them successful?" I'm like. I've been a part of many exits. Many exits. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Yeah. You know, I, I, I do, when he gets back, there's a good good question, though, because it seems like everybody in our world is all about the exit. Yeah. Right? And if you go to San Fran, everybody is like, oh, I'll take equity over cash. And I'm like, <laughs> but it's a mentality that I'm always curious about. I'm like, Come on, Craig. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, the good thing is, is like here they'll pay you well and give you equity. So, yeah. so well, that's look, the, dude, you're you're in with a good here. Hold on. Let me do this. All right. Okay. Now we're back. Okay. All, All right. right so look so much like my grandma right now. <laughs> he, and he keeps switching glasses too. Yeah. Well, well, that's I bet you he doesn't realize that he just put on a different pair. Hilah, who's our CMO, she was like, uh, we were talking about my glasses today. She goes, I'm pretty sure I haven't seen Craig wear the same pair of glasses more than once. Like, and it's pretty, it's probably pretty true. So I like the Tiffany colored ones. Those are my faves. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those Not are the these. ones that actually he'll pull out like at more than once. Were these ones, the ones that I had on? That's what I had on, but those yeah. ones make me think grandma. Yeah. All right. So by the way, so I've been dying since Matt brought up the email, um, you know, yes, uh, not yesterday in our previous recording, Matt had sort of brought up this idea that like, you know, do I need a f industrial strength uh, email weapon of mass destruction when email is not, you know, not yielding the same results as we did before. So I want to dive in on that. But I, so we did a, a survey of like marketing programs and asked people, you know, what are you starting, continuing, and stopping? So I want to get Matt's impression. Is it, I'm going to throw these out, Judd, you ready? Go for it, man. It's you know, down. we're jumping right in. That's how we do. Okay. Here, you're going to answer this, in, Matt, in terms of advice you would give to the market. Yep. Ready? Yes. Content syndication, just general, not account-based targeted. I, I would divest. Divest. Okay. You added a new category. That's perfect, though. That's a good one. 
but you wouldn't give it up. You would just wait. Divest means you're out. I would. Uh, yes, I, I would come out of it right now. All right, my buddy John Steiner to Tech Target will probably be a guest soon to come and refute you. I like that. Well, I yeah, okay. I mean, Tech Target, I would triple down. No, I'm just. Well, no, but but tech target, <laughs> in the verticals that they're really good at, they they do. There are. Oh, I agree know, with that. I agree yeah, with that. Yeah. And, and hey, they, hey we, here here's the thing though, and I'm going to give a caveat because whenever people bring up like this or that, normally there's not enough information for you to really say because. If you're running an inbound, that might be a great play for you, right? I mean, if you're an outbound machine, eh. yeah, yeah. And it also it, it depends upon the maturity of the market that you're in. It depends yeah. upon the awareness of your brand. Um, it also depends upon what metric you're actually trying to to alter, yeah, right? Much, so if you're just yeah. trying to like if you're on the hook for getting a lot of leads, it's a great way to ensure that like some portion of your lead quota is met. But I think in terms of uh, uh, is it a good like uh, source of sales ready leads? No, no, definitely not. Yeah. Okay. By the way, that was the number one program that's stopped, and it was two x any of the other stops. Yeah. Yeah. Second uh, in the stops was social other paid, so not not uh, LinkedIn. Yep. Do you do paid social? Well, what would you say on paid social? What's your well, I mean, we can open a can of worms on LinkedIn paid social. Uh, oh, yeah. No, hold, yeah. Hold that one. That I know there's a can of worms there. Yeah. So LinkedIn is uh, it's definitely something that we'll continue to invest in. Uh, we can go two or three clicks deeper on that. I think the other social channels are are uh, outside of like meta. I think very challenging. I think meta in general can be great for a brand depending upon who your your uh, the personas that you're targeting and the ICP that you have uh, yeah. just because it does allow you to get very specific. And the thing about LinkedIn is like it lets you get really really targeted um but it does fall apart a little bit uh and we can talk about that. Okay. Oh, that next. All right, so that's the second one. Uh, third one is ready. The Judd and ever and and Matt have to hit podcasts. So we had, but this one evened out because there was a bunch of podcast starts too, and yeah. most people are continuing. But there were some folks that were stopping it. I can see why someone would stop it because it's there's an execution thing. Like you know, uh, like the Ringmaster guys, they're so pro. Like if you 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 would want to do it with someone like Ringmaster, right? Who exactly. could go and make sure, right. yeah. But like, if you just throw your podcasts at, and a Casey from ringmaster says all the time, it's not, a, if you build it, they will come. No, 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 not even no. close. But anyway, what are your thoughts on podcasts, Matt and Judd? I got some I'm, thoughts, but. As a, as a consumer of them, I think that they are great. Uh, but I will say in general, like I don't consume all that much B2B podcasts. I consume a lot of sports and pop culture uh, because that's what I find to be entertaining. Every now and then I'll click into very specific business related podcasts if they have a good guest uh, or if the host of that podcast is somebody that, that, that I admire, I have a ton of respect for. Um, but generally speaking, my podcast consumption is about 95% not business related and probably 5% business related. Um, uh, I think in general execution that I've seen from brands that do podcasts is rather terrible uh, because it becomes very, very self-serving. Um, it is like sort of a good way to get some of your customers onto a podcast and they feel good about it. 
but I think in terms of like just the quality, I I, I listen to these things or I, I just see them and they're like over an hour long. I'm like, I'm out. There's no way. There's no way I'm dedicating an hour of my life to this. And, and I'll, I'll even I'm going to double click on it. Um, I normally do not like podcasts. Mm. Um, and I, yet, find, I find them to be normally boring and repetitive. They bring sure. on the same people, have the same conversation, and you tune in because you have the respect for the people that you want to hear from. Sure. The ones that I tend to be okay with or listen and the ones that I find work even for a brand are the ones that are engaging and interesting. So, you know, the edutainment kind of like flow that, you know, we're, we're talking about, right? It's like, I want to be a part of a conversation. I don't just want to listen to somebody berate somebody with questions, or I want to laugh every so often, be entertained, but also be like, oh, that was, that, that was good, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think as a channel, yes, I like it. I think people are looking for an ed entertainment, educational component, but I don't think many people do it well. And I don't think many people do it right. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's exactly right. But, oh. but people do have, you know, but pe people do have their preferences, but yeah, like it's hard because when we look at channels, it's like, you know, there's like, I used to sell content syndication and I knew full well by talking to the client, whether they would make it work or not. Sure. Yep. You yep. know, and, um, um, so, okay. So those were the stops, just the top three. Cause I want to go back to something. I want to, let me give you the one marketing programs that are starting in H2. I think this is really interesting. I can't wait for your guys on this one. The number one start. Okay. Is direct mail. Yeah. Yep. Think about that for a sec. That's pretty, uh, that's a pretty good endorsement for direct mail. Everyone's cutting budget. That one seems to have money attached to it. Right. I mean, and the most interesting thing for me on direct mail is it rarely yields the one-to-one -one result. Like it makes everything else better, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, like you don't send someone a squeegee ball or whatever those things are called and they go, Oh my God, I'm going to go take a demo. Right. Like the squeegee ball with the SDR call with the targeted advertising that works. So think about that. That's crazy. Considering the CFO has her hands on everything. Now direct mail is cost money. And it makes other things work yet. And it's still, it's doing well. Everyone's keeping it and more people are starting it. So go. Um, let me, let me jump in on this one. Cause I've been calling direct mails working again for a long time now, probably for the last six months. Um, what's old is new, as I like to say, uh, part of it costs has come down dramatically, right? There's new technology that allows you to print one-offs. You could do, you know, a thousand piece run and have 15 different, versions and it's cost effective which it was not for a very long time so now with the cost down making everything work better and people paying attention again i i that's my number one start too Matt? i mean i i like it and i i i have been successful using direct mail as a part of my marketing mix for a long time i will say that um uh, uh, previous to where I work currently, uh, I was selling into the DevOps space and it wasn't even a consideration there just because like there was no way you were going to be able to direct mail these people. And quite honestly, it was a bottoms up approach and just like it was very hard to justify the spend for it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. so so that didn't work. I would say the the what I'm starting to see as like 
uh, a driver here uh, at my own business around direct mail, and and it's a it's a little bit of a crawl walk run. Uh, is you know we just need to do do a better job with our customers, especially customers that are doing great things for us, like advocating for us on G two, closing as new customers, and so setting up some automation around that is uh, is is part of one of our our, our quarterly initiatives. We have a, a technology for it. Um, we're just not utilizing it yet. Uh, but I think as part of an account-based motion, which, you know, we have a perspective on on a, an, uh, on having an account-based motion, but we don't have the infrastructure yet for it to, to, to go live. Um, I think it's really hard to run successful ABM without a direct mail piece. I just do. What, what, what do you think now? about direct mail in PLG? It's a good question. I think uh, the challenge with PLG uh, and you're starting to see a lot of conversation around like metrics of PLG on LinkedIn, which I think is fascinating because for a long time, people were saying PLG is the new sort of GTM du jour. Uh, but there's not a lot of good thought leadership around how do I quantify what success looks like? How many people need to sign up in order to get a customer, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what I would say is we're still in, you know, not necessarily the dark ages of PLG, but we're in the early stages of PLG in terms of having an understanding around when a motion like that would be meaningful and, and useful. And, uh, and there is a whole sector of what I believe MarTech is going to become over the course of the next 10 years. Uh, that is not, it doesn't have, uh, it, it hasn't reached a, a, enough density in the market yet for people to understand when a motion like uh, direct mail for PLG would work appropriately. And to me, that that moment is either there's enough product usage that it would trigger that, there's enough uh, users within a single organization that it would trigger that, then the challenges around that is, well, you've got 10 users at Adobe who are utilizing your, your PLG product. Which one do you send it to? Uh, who's, who is, who is really driving it? Is it uh, a top-down initiative to bring in something like this, or is it a bottoms-up where there's a bunch of people who are like, hey, this technology rocks. And so one of those core people is actually an influencer. Certainly you can see if, you're, if your product has the capability to add people, you can see the person who's adding the most people and that, that would be the natural choice there. Um, but there are considerations for how you would do PLG that I think are unexplored. Oh yeah, I, I agree with that. So then, uh, so... SDRs though, have you seen, uh, I've heard really good things about direct mail in helping SDRs connect rates. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think that's actually what we're talking about here too, at the end yeah. of the day, yeah. because like an ABM thing where we're throwing the multiple channels at them to get the connect is what, I mean, essentially nobody wants to admit that, but that's literally what we're doing. We're I, trying I, to I, I just think these things in a vacuum don't hold as much weight as when they're put together properly. I mean, totally. you, you have direct mail, you have SDR. The SDR touch is based on a score or however you've moved them through your funnel. And if you try to do one or the other alone, the effect is minimal. So, I mean, look, marketing, sales, go to market. It, it's all a cumulative, cumulative approach anyway. Yeah. Right. So, you know, look, what product you sell, who your target audience is. I mean, all of these channels can work. It's understanding, will it work for what you need and, and the people, the, the the set that you need? So, yeah. yeah, 
I think if you rewind, if you get in the DeLorean, gun it to 88 and rewind to when like Chris and Braden were starting Sendoso, the earliest inception of the idea of Sendoso was probably the brightest one that existed, which is like, hey, I'm going to send you a $5 Starbucks gift card because we're going to be in a meeting in an hour and I want to make sure that you're caffeinated for it. And the far flung use cases that have been generated from direct mail, and even though that was digital direct mail, but direct mail have like in a weird way, almost uh, cratered that market under the weight of what people tried to do with it, which is people went and spent a fortune to try to make it such a, a an anchor piece of their go-to-market. And the reality is it just works great to get in for an SDR to get a meeting. It works great for an account executive to make sure that the attendee actually comes to the meeting. It works great as a little thank you note after the fact or as somebody becomes a customer. But I think people conflated the success of that with this is actually something that could drive pipeline as a standalone channel. Yeah, And I think Craig said everything that Judd and I have just spent the last five minutes pontificating on in this first statement, which is it's not a one-to-one. It makes everything better. Yeah. I got a couple for you and then we'll go. So one is, uh, so Gainsight, they used to, early days, they would find out when the executive team was having their meeting, whether it was a Monday meeting, a forecast meeting, and they'd send donuts. Small thing, totally. make a difference. The, uh, the best one though I ever heard, I was telling a client that story. I think this was a guy named Mike Smith, who's like a- That know, sounds like a made up name. That was a fake name. They have 50 years in a row and he used to have the bacon play. And so what they do is literally the sales reps had a button in Salesforce. And if they hadn't heard from a, uh, a buyer, so we're talking like down the line, waiting to get the deal done end of quarter, they would press a button and they'd send them a pound of bacon. And it was He's like, it would work like a charm. These guys wouldn't get back to you, then you send the bacon. I will follow that. So listen, so the I was, I had him return a call. He's a buddy of mine. He was trying to get to me. Similar idea. And I wasn't returning his calls. Uh, I meant to, by the way, I, I took a picture of how I had it written down and sent it to him. But he knew that I liked good company in Houston and he sent me a brisket. Okay. And I called him 20 minutes uh, later. Someone sends me a brisket. I'm calling him too. Everybody, just you know, send me a brisket. Um, so we're all gonna get briskets. Um, although I will say, we now need to make shirts. Uh, just called the power of bacon. Yeah. Well, we can do that. I th- I'm pretty sure there is one. Yeah. I mean, that probably, we just gotta go get them. I think I think I've seen Matt wear it. Uh, by the way, I've been broiling bacon lately. It's amazing. Instead of frying. oh yeah yeah, it's incredible. Uh, both crunchy and chewy. It's it, all at the same time. Crunchy, chewy, and it you don't lose half the bacon. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's amazing. Okay. All right. So that that was incredible. Yeah, yeah. I just want to uh, to to add on one bit of color. Uh, you know, uh, Craig and I you, you have known each other for a long time. For a long time, my LinkedIn headline was "We'll take meetings for cupcakes," and people used to send me cupcakes all the time. Now, I back then I was a, a not in the. I didn't look the same as I do now, and I would tell people, "Oh yeah, I'm giving them to my my." my staff I, I was doing them all myself so uh but like 
I think it's those little touches that go a long way. And, and if you can sort of pick up the signal of what someone likes and, or if you can find, you know, based upon the persona that you serve, something common that you can send out to people and it scales, there's something magic about that. Yeah. I, there's one other side though. Like we keep talking about like the mass way of doing things. I still think that hyper-personalized touch, it, it wins every time. And I've watched, it's experience, not tchotchke. Right. If I know you play guitars and you're a big potential customer and suddenly a custom guitar with your name on it shows up at your house, I guarantee you, you're getting on a call. Sure. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to send you a guitar, but. Hey, wait a minute. You opened that Pandora's box. I actually know um, one of the companies, they were trying to create a partnership. They knew the CEO played. They sent him a custom guitar. He called them immediately and they did close the deal. Yeah, well, I mean, that's an investment. I love it. By the way, I'm going to put change mine to I work for Fender Stratocasters, and then like, people just send them to me. Uh, fun fact, I did play the guitar in middle school because I did, you know, I was old. It was like hair rock and or whatever you want to call it was like totally in. And I used to love Judas Priest breaking the law. You know, that guitar, that KK Downing, that guitar. I used to play that all the time. And that's the only thing I could play. But it was, I looked really cool. All right. So uh, we need pictures. <laughs> hold on. So there's, there's a bunch of other starts, but I want to give you guys a choice so we don't throw it because I think these are really interesting. Okay. So direct mail was one in like programs people are starting. Second, really close behind was ABM content syndication. So targeted. Okay. Sure. But hold on. I'm going to give you the rest and then you can choose whichever one you want to talk about. Third was customer advisory board. Okay. Uh, programs. Intriguing. Fourth, this one I cannot wait to hear, but you, I, I gave you guys a choice yet. I'm leading the witness. Brand campaigns. Brand campaigns. Now, yeah. uh, those, those are, are those are those are starts, right? Starts. So number one was direct mail. Number two, content syndication, ABM. Number three, customer advisory board. And four is brand campaigns. There's others, but those are the top four. Okay, so we talked about direct mail. Any of those other three you want to comment on? I do, but go, yeah, brand. I'm, I'm going, I'm going right to brand because, secret, but I can't tell you what it is. All right, all right, all right. Good. I, well, I, let, let me say one thing. Yeah, if that's a start, you already screwed up because I, uh, who the hell doesn't do brand campaigns and who doesn't think of that as a a pillar component of what you're doing? Like we all know, brand drives deals, brand drives demand, as we like to say. So. If that's the new thing you're doing, you're you better be early on and not have brand equity. And you're thinking, okay, it's time to promote the brand. But if you're later on, you haven't been doing it, or you turned it off. Uh, I see that as a problem. Yeah, I, I mean, I I would agree with you, but I think the reality of the environment has been is almost everybody has underinvested in brand, especially during the the sort of the bountiful times of the pandemic. It was just about capture as much demand as you possibly can. And I, I, you know, some people will hear brand campaigns and they'll think, oh, it's kind of fluffy. Uh, the reality is, is most of us are not creating our own market. We talk about all the time, like, oh, demand gen this, demand gen that. Like, if your whole motion is just demand gen or just demand capture, you are always going to be beholden to whatever market exists. And you're going to get into these conversations around how do we steal customers away from our competitors? How, you know, how do we get them at their renewal and whatnot? And that stuff's important, right? You know, you want to, you, you, you want to cut down your competitors as much as you can, but if you're not out there creating a bigger market, 
and establishing yourself as the primary player in it, then you're going to be stuck but by whatever service address, serviceable addressable market exists today. And so I think it is beholden on all of us to go out and try to create more of a market. And now I know some monolithic brands that are out now trying to create new markets for themselves. And they don't even have like a good necessarily motion for it because their products are so tied towards a specific buyer. But like without stating too much of, of stuff that I shouldn't be talking about in confidence with some of, uh, of the folks that I know, like people who have largely sold into CIOs and CTOs now desperately want to move into the go-to-market space. Desperately. And brands that we think of as primarily being purchased by CIOs and CTOs now want to have a seat with marketing leaders, sales leaders. They want to have an understanding of what are the things that they're doing and how can their product support it. So, so hold, hold on, let me, let me ask a question then around this one. So obviously brand, we all, I, I think we all agree brand is important and yeah. being the leader in your category is important. So let's talk category. Yeah. How do we feel about it? Is it overdone? Um, I'm kind of getting to a point that everybody seems to think that their product can be a new category. Everybody wants to create a category. We have tales of, you know, category king winning and, and so on. But after those tales, I don't have many that, that, that hold up. And I've seen numerous times where a lot of these category creators and Kings at the time don't win. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, first of all, by the way, on our list of guests will be the category design advisors. We'll have them on. I'm doing a, uh, workshop with them next week in New York. Um, yeah. And I, I have done a workshop with them. And what I'll say is, Yes, people don't do it well, but if you do it well, Oof. you ge you generally do win. You yeah. generally do win. And and I think that that is only normal to look at either your 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 brand as like, oh, I don't know if this is a whole category or not, or I'm already playing in a category, how do I carve out a niche for myself? But it can be done. And I don't think we have the space on this podcast to talk through it. And, I, it, and we're going to have that, that team on. So at some point they'll talk through it. But man, when it is executed, it, it rocks, which is true for everything, which is true for everything. Email marketing yep. can be incredible if you're really good at it, but most people sink at it, right? And so I think the same is true for category design. Yeah, I, I Judd, I think you bring up the use case that is the problem, which is... Uh, we all read Play Bigger, which is a great book, right? It it made total sense. And like uh, the examples in category king and category winners is like exciting. The issue that you brought up is like, and uh, I think Matt and I talked to Mike Damphouse about it in uh, the Scale Venture Partners office, which was uh, too many people think they need to make a new category. Yeah. Yep. That's the issue that you're bringing up. I, I used to see this all the time as an analyst, man. It was like, I was an analyst for nine years and people come and go, we think there's a new category and it's this. Okay. So I'm going to tell you two stories and then we'll move on. So one is, I think I told, did I tell you guys a story? So one of the things I did was I brought the guys that founded Eloqua and Marketo together. Right. And I said, like, give me the oral history. We're doing this. I think I brought it up the other day, but like one part of that was the category design and uh, they had tried revenue performance management and it failed, right? Like they, uh, I think Marketo had it on their website for four months. 
maybe I'll go at it for five. Okay. So we like, that was, you know, John Miller's like, look, go look at the Wayback machine, man. Like it, you'll see that we tried it. We went hard at it and we pulled back and we called ourselves marketing automation. All of us in the space thought marketing automation was the wrong term, but that didn't matter because the buyers gravitated to it. And Steve Woods, who was taking the call while on a walk in Toronto goes, here's the thing is we were selling them something they didn't want. He's like, the buyers decide the category. And that's the biggest mistake everyone makes. And um, in that, if the cat, you know, like Damp House, so Matt and I brought up to Mike Damp House, he runs category design advisors and he works with Kevin Minnie, wrote was one of the writers of Play Bigger, right? We said, like, what do you do when there's already a category? It's like you carve your niche out. If they, if Gardner already created the category, it's a category. Yeah. Now try to figure out how to win there. Right. And um, and that's what you're talking about, Jet, which is like we can't all start creating new categories. Yeah. Right. And that's bad. Yep. What's um, now, if you can be the one to invent CRM, you're going to, you know, it's good. Okay. Then you brought the second issue is the category king doesn't always hold their throne. Um, and, you know, I still think that's true, but they still got to where they are because they won that category. They built it and defined it. Um, like right now, it's the sales engagement platform market. That thing's up in the air again, right? And like, yep. um but it's still a category and they, you know, and those guys have all tried to create new category. Oh, it's custom. Well, and, and, and I think that's, that's one of the big problems though, is they're all trying to create their own category within a category, which mm. confuses the market. Yeah. But when they unify around it, whether it's marketing automation or anything they want, the unified approach creates the category. And I yeah. think that people keep thinking that there's this, I'm, my company is going to create the category. And it's like category doesn't li- it exist if there's only one of you. That's right. That's it doesn't right. exist if there's one of you. Number two is if the, the remember for me, the category design thing is really simple, which is the buyer can articulate the category value prop without talking about the vendors. The vendors are second, right? So they are, they go right now, you go to the market and say, you know what? We need a CRM. Now let's go look at it. You know what? We need uh, marketing automation. Now let's go look at it. That's when you start to, that's when the flex happens, man. That's when like, Okay, now you got to compete, sure, but like it's because, but you're that's where the buyers are, that's where they go to. Um, and I think, I think that's really important. Anyway, we'll, we'll make that another, uh, we'll make that. So, hold on, yeah, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen Craig this animated in a while, so I'm gonna let you keep rolling. Man, you're excited, I love it. Was I, ah, uh, my that's that, I mean, uh, you I, I, I think the COVID's me, going away, yeah, the COVID's <laughs> hey man, yesterday I was excited to hear about this. Well, actually, you're right. Uh, when I found out about the Kava Bowl, I, I, I definitely there was there was some confusion on my part. Might have thrown me off my game. Okay, uh, last thing though, I want to bring up. So LinkedIn. Um, so there's two parts to LinkedIn. One is it is the place for free social right now for B2B. Is that a true statement or no? Yes. yes. Okay. I have a microphone. Uh, and you know what's wild is that it's gotten more crowded, more noisy, more busy, uh, yet it's working as well as it's ever worked. So that's an interesting thing. Um, and then the yeah. second is paid. Uh, yeah, I was going to say first paid. So, but free, like, so, you know, Scott Alrome, you know, who I uh, co-founded Tippin and Topo with, right? Like he's starting a new business. He's a thousand percent all in on LinkedIn. Yep. One post a week, maybe 
Did you do more? I think a day. Okay. Okay. One a day. Yeah. I don't even, geez, I don't even know. I'm, but he's in our feed all the time. Yes. He's, he's uh, at the top of my LinkedIn feed every time I log in. He's a real journalist, by the way. Like he, it's some very little of it self-serving. Like he's writing about the Fed. He's writing about markets and like CEO stuff. It's amazing. And he's been able to build a following, an enviable following. His content, uh, I know it's, it's, we're talking about a couple of months back now, but his content when SVB was going down yeah, was some of the best I read anywhere. And I don't just mean on LinkedIn. I literally mean anywhere. It was, it made it all make sense in a way that was so stick simple. And I was like, great. Now I know what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sidelines at the time, right? So uh, Craig and I were working together at scale then, but like, wow. I was like, okay, cool. Now I feel informed enough to have a conversation. I will yeah. say in general, the content that he puts out in addition to it being very good, it gets a shitload of engagement too. Totally. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and he was well, telling me, so he was following um, Sam Jacobs. Like He's like, cause he, he's amazed at Sam. He's like, Sam is like two a day, I think in even weekends. Probably. And he's like, he's putting, he's like, he's like, the discipline is incredible. And I'm just, you know, cause it's Scott, he's actually a pretty humble guy. He's like, oh no, Craig, you got to go look at Sam. Uh, and so, I mean, the rules of content apply, right? What we're talking about here is Scott writes great content. He yeah. really does. And then number two is, uh, um, it's a, there's a lot of bad content too. Oh yes. Well, there's plenty of terrible content. I, I, I will say this, like right now, I think we're also at a point where content rules the world. It's all con like there's nothing we're doing that content isn't driving in some way, shape, or form. Yet it's still undervalued in a lot of areas. The people who are creating it are undervalued. And I think we're going to see some type of market shift or change soon because I'm talking to these amazing content creators and they don't get paid that well. Uh, they're doing a lot of work, they're creating a lot of content and a lot of them good content, you know. I mean. Some, something's got to go. Something's going to break or shift soon. So I, I love that, like, great content's out there. And, you know, I, I guess you go to, great, there's good content. So what? And so LinkedIn to me is that so what? I see a lot of content flinging around, but what does it lead to? And I think that's the big problem in LinkedIn. A lot of people know it's a great channel. They know they can do something there, but they have no idea how. So, and that's what's making things noisy and ugly. Yeah. yeah. Let me give you some, uh, let, me, let me give you a, an anecdote here. Because uh, I think that this will help contextualize some of the way I feel about it and some of what you're talking about here, Judd, is uh, we did, uh, at, at my company, we did uh, a, a user summit, a, a sort of branded uh, corporate event. It was virtual. Right. And I was like, I'm scared to death of a virtual event. Like who wants to go to those anymore? Like, ooh, whatever. But, you know, we're, we're not at a place where we can do anything in real life just yet. We uh, we you know, we start our promotional plan for it about eight weeks out, six weeks out. We started to really kick things into high gear from like, a, you know, we're inviting people. We're running ads. We're sending out emails, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, we're, we're about two weeks out from the show and Reg is way underperforming, way underperforming. We're in like the 300 people. Our goal was to get a thousand people to this thing. 
in the two weeks leading up to the event, we went on a social, specifically LinkedIn. Uh, we did, you know, we echoed everything on on Twitter now X, uh, which I would like to call Twitter now X, Twitter now X. Anyways, um, <laughs> and uh, we 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 just blocked out the sun on social, and we added a thousand registrants in the two weeks leading up to the show without doing any more emails, without doing any more ads, just putting up nothing but, in my opinion, really compelling content about why you should go to the show, the people that are going to be at the show, the sessions uh, that are going to be featured, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And we crushed our registration goals, crushed them. And it did, I mean, did it cost us money to produce the assets to be hosted on LinkedIn? Yes. Did it cost us very much money? No. And that's the place where our, our audience lives. And I, I know a lot of people say, well, LinkedIn is a place where sales and marketers live. Everybody lives there. If you're a professional, Everybody. you live there, right? And I think that there are lessons to be learned of, around the way Gong went to market early on and yeah. what they were putting out on social. Yeah. And people keep saying, hey, I want this Gong effect. I want this Gong effect. But as in every tactic we've talked about on today's show so far, if you don't do it right, it doesn't really matter. If you're yeah. not willing to put in the time and create really compelling content that's optimized specifically for that channel, this is not a place for definitive guides for lead scoring or, or things like that, like long form content. It's just, hey, can I put an idea out there that someone can just see and immediately understand? Yeah. Boom. Okay. Paid LinkedIn. I know you threw it in there, but like, I was all excited to talk to you about that, Matt. And then you're like, eh. I mean, I, I paid LinkedIn works really well for us right now, really, really well for us, but it's still expensive. And that's the tricky part is it feels hard to say that like, well, over the course of the next three or four years, I'm going to 10 X my spend here or 20 X my spend here. That just doesn't feel like it scales all that well. So number one, understand that the cost there is going to outweigh the cost of, you know, traditional search ads like Google, or if you mess around with Bing or whatever, or even other social channels like Meta, it's expensive, right. but because you can get very, very targeted. Now I'll caveat how targeted you can get, because if you want to target a CMO, easy, CRO, easy, CTO, VP of sales, VP of marketing, director of demand gen, like you're talking about like direct hit names, easy. But that's not the way most people are titled anymore. People have titles all over the map. So it creates a lot of difficulty when you're like, hey, I want to serve an audience that's maybe mid-level management. They're involved in process that looks like this, but company to company, that could be somebody of a different role. And so sometimes what surfaces from campaigns like that, if it's bottom of funnel and you're trying to get a, somebody to take action, like request a demo or speak to sales, is you just turn up the wrong person. And there's nothing as heartbreaking as turning up the wrong person from a LinkedIn ad because it's so expensive. So ah, see, there's yeah. much more to be done there in terms of their targeting abilities. Uh, I don't think it's there yet. But if you're like, hey, I know who I'm going after. It's a CEO. Or I know who I'm going after. It's the you know a director of HR. Great. Like you're going to be fine. It's that mid-level management where you're like, uh... I, I would even go farther to say that I don't think this is a, this is LinkedIn something they can solve personally. 
unless they do some type of campaign to get the user more involved. Because what, what do we see on LinkedIn? People don't really put much on there. Maybe they update a title from time to time. The people who know how to use it, maybe it's like a resume makes life a lot easier because they'll put what they do. But the vast majority of people, it's I work here. Yeah. And that, you know, with titles changing constantly with, um, you know, the the prioritization internally and and how people are moving and shifting what they do to make the company work, man, it's only getting harder. So I, I, I really don't see a fix to that unless they go more external versus internal. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, Craig, Matt. you faded. Come to the forefront. You faded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, get I, in here, I, man. While you guys were talking so much, I had to go relax, like lean back and relax. Uh, wait, wait. So, so hold on. You got any more? Because oh, I, I got a couple side what? things I want to pull. Time. Okay, you could do a side thing. Let me just ask Matt this, though. You got it. So, I give you a thousand bucks for <laughs> online advertising. I divvy it up. Where do you put it? Go to dinner. Yeah, I mean, no, 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 you can't do dinners, no channels. Like, I'm talking like, no, no, no. that was just let's go to dinner because a thousand dollars didn't get you anywhere. Oh, okay, that's, you're right. It was the number. Yeah, yeah, you're right. By the way, I'm not sure a thousand dollars gets you. Well, no, it'll get you dinner. <laughs> Matt, it depends if, yeah, yeah, okay, go, Matt. Okay, so uh, let's take the thousand dollars and let's make it a hundred thousand dollars. I think <laughs> optimized, you'd want to have. I, I think if you are fully optimized, you'd want to have two thirds of it in 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 search ads and a third of it in LinkedIn. The challenge with that is if you're operating in a category uh, that's or or just your a product is in a nascent space, there's not enough search volume for you, so that's hard. And like, I'm just speaking from my own personal experience because I'm mired in this on a, on a daily basis. I'd love to see our digital spend optimized for for Google, right? Because just the unit economics there are so much more advantageous than the unit economics at LinkedIn. But we don't have people that are searching for our category just yet because it's it's small and it's starting. So we have to spend more on LinkedIn. So the challenge is, you know, you want to get the attention of people who've never heard of you before, who maybe don't know your category, but have the, are experiencing the pain of what your category solves for. You're going to end up spending more on LinkedIn because you can go directly to those people and tell them the direct story right in the place where they're spending most of their time. And then as the category starts to grow, your brand awareness starts to grow and people have an understanding of your value prop based on the category that you serve, then there will be significantly a higher search volume. So it's a weird kind of teeter-totter moment where it's like, I'm spending a ton on LinkedIn and this feels like I'm going to go broke. And then the market hits and then you can go spend way more on Google and reduce your spend on LinkedIn and you can really build a digital strategy that'll scale. Here's a, here's a good follow-on question. How many ads on LinkedIn have you two clicked on in the last month? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, I think especially given the fact that you can't do, uh, you can't do the, 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 the DM ads anymore. Um, I, so here's what I'll say. It depends upon how you define click. I love like these ads that have the scrolly stuff and they, you know, have all kinds of information. I mean, I'm clicking on it. I'm I'm clicking on it. And the the content is compelling. I'm going to learn more. So But is that because you're a marketer and great respects great? Or is it uh, because you're really interested? 
Yeah, it's because I'm really interested. I think most okay. marketers would tell you they, uh, uh, if they see good marketing, they sort of, uh, they, they kind of trash it a little bit because they're like, I should have thought of that. Or it's only good because they can spend so much money. Uh, I'm like by nature a hater. Um, uh, and then if it's bad, you trash it because it's bad. Uh, so, so going after marketers is really challenging. Uh, I would say anything that I'm actually engaging with that is an ad, uh, it's because I'm 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 uh, I'm generally interested. What I'll say is also I never click on like search ads because um, if I'm searching for something and I find it, I'm like, I'm going to save this person the thirty cents. I'm just going to go directly to their home page. Yeah, I know they're. Right, what about you? Well, I mean, um, none. Me too. And, uh, but, well, first of all, search ads, I never do only because the experience is so bad. Right. Like, cause I know I'm going to a landing page. Yep. Um, and if I'm on Google, I'm actually, my intentions are very earnest. Like I want to go, you know, do some research. So I do it. Yeah. Uh, but, but, um, I don't click on, I do click on ads. I do like consumer stuff. If I want to buy something, uh, you know, I, you can get me on those, uh, 75% off, you know, whatever. Uh, but, um, or if it's something interesting, like from a consumer perspective, but from a B2B, I don't, that said, I don't forget that much. Like if, and that's why when like, I'll just go back to what we talked about before. It's a mix of everything. And the most important thing is, can I triangulate around the key buyers that I care about? Yeah. You can, without me clicking, plant a seed in my head for the next time you reach out to invite me to an event with ads across anything. I don't care. You just got to get to me yep. uh, that I will, that will plant a seed in my head and everything has to work together. But like that does work. Like I do remember all, uh, I remember this at Gartner because I, I'm sure everyone was trying to hit us, but like I'd go get a briefing and I would go in with going, oh God, I know those guys. And it's because they push stuff at me at LinkedIn and maybe on, you know, some kind of ad network or whatever. And so, no, I didn't click on it, but that doesn't mean that I don't think that. So, it has so, so the cool part about this, and this goes back to where we we're talking a little bit about brand campaigns to some extent, like. The, the fact that you're doing it has that secondary effect that it acts as a brand campaign. You see something yeah. enough, you have a higher likelihood of engagement. So, you yeah, know. I, yeah, totally. I think that was, I think that was good. Hey, I got to throw this one out because I just got an email from our uh, agency ringmaster, Casey. He said he didn't hate it. Our <laughs> Now, do you think that means that like, uh, on a, so I didn't hate it as like a C plus? Uh, on a yeah. scale of one to 10, it's like a six. Yeah. Uh, I think you're being generous. Um, <laughs> I well, well, I figure 50, 50, you hate it or you love it. I'm thinking we're just tipping the scale, maybe like a 5.1. Also, um, can we use that as the podcast tagline? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't hate Not it. Yeah, that's a good one. I didn't Oh hate my it. God. I, uh, yeah, I'm going to, you know, we're going to have to put Casey on here and confront him on his feedback. Actually. Um, uh, yeah. So if someone says they don't hate it, it's normally, where would you put it? No matter what you put in that, the, you gave it a six, I gave it like a B minus C plus and that you were saying three, yeah, three, three. A three, right. Yeah. Because I think if you hate something, you're giving it like a zero or one saying that you didn't hate it means that you don't like it. Oof. 
Man, yeah. that's rough. Right, tough audience. Geez. Sorry, guys. Yeah, um, we'll have to. Okay, Plan B. Plan I, I, B. I, I, Hey, podcast over. Bye. No, um, the good news is I have a microphone, so it could have just been an audio issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. There right. you go. It was a quick yeah. and Craig, Craig, Craig wasn't feeling his best. The COVID thing, you know. He didn't he he wear a hat. He wasn't I'm, I'm not bought, dude. I'm gonna go listen to it. Did, was I mean I, I sent it to you today? You got it. So but so okay, we're getting close here. So I got I got a couple of questions. Let, let's start with where you guys live. This one should be really interesting. Matt and I were talking about this a little bit ago, and there's all those people who are like, I will give up dollars for equity for the big payout. Now, that's a huge San Francisco thing all the time. And I meet all these people who are like, yeah, yeah, I can take less as long as I get more equity. And to this date, very few of them have cashed out. For you, more cash in hand, like, hey, I make 500 to a million a year or way more equity with a a likelihood of, of cash out. Thoughts? Um, I mean, three years ago, you, you know what you do there and you'd probably come out ahead. Um, and then a year and a half ago, you could have the best of both worlds. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't like it being such a one or the other thing, but that is how you asked it. Uh, well, okay. Go, go, with, go with your gut here. Talk it the way you want it. No, but it's apt, right? Because Craig, how many people do we know that are in the Atlanta tech scene where they either give very little or no equity to to employees? Is that true, Judd? Some instances. Yeah. yeah. And, and I've seen I've seen it both ways. And I've seen, you know, uh, w- when I work with a lot of these execs and that, you know, we're talking about compensation, I'm like, look, you've got levers. One of them is equity. One is comp. We, you, you know, you've got other levers too. access. So I always say, look, whatever you want, pull the trigger. They've got a they've got a set amount that they're willing to give you. And you know, you're either gonna gamble on, you know, on the company or you're gonna gamble on yourself. That's how I look at it. Like I like cash in hand. I'll go make my own investments most of the time. Um, because I can't control a lot of things in a business. You know, yeah. you can even be in the C suite and a lot of times you can't control certain outcomes. No, definitely. Uh I think my take is here, um, like all things, it depends. It's sort of like having an investment strategy. Uh, You know, the closer that you get to your retirement, the more like of a sure thing that you want. Uh, So like in the earlier days of your career, your your best, in my opinion, your best bet is to to leverage more, more equity, but obviously everyone's financial circumstances are their own. Um, and then if you're later in your career and you've been successful and you're still in the game, then the opposite could be true. You could be optimizing for more equity. I think, you know, my perspective on it's always been here in, in Silicon Valley. It's very expensive to live in every way, shape or form. You're not just talking about mortgage costs and rents and things like that, but you're talking about the cost of everything, driving around dinner. If you have children, sending them to school, all that stuff is just, it's so expensive. And yeah, we make like really outsized salaries here, but you, you know, you'd be shocked at how not far that money goes. And so the opportunity to to capitalize in a big way wrapped around an exit and you're getting a massive lump sum, those are really the only way to meaningfully change the quality of your life. I can't tell you, and this is going to sound like first world problem, whiny, whiny, whiny stuff, but like, I can't tell you how many people that I know who 
you know, might go from say making $200,000 to $300,000 in a salary on an annualized basis. And they're like, yeah, my life doesn't feel very different. And that would sound shocking to people in, in other parts of the world, but like the financial creep of just existing here is pretty nuts, right? Uh, you go from living in a place where you're spending $5,000 a month on rent to maybe a place that has enough space for you to have an office. And now it's 6,500 and like, that's material expense increase, right? And so your increased salary is only covering, you know, some bit of that. So uh, I think, I mean, I think your best bet is, you know, to have a good financial advisor, to have that person give you sound advice, and to also have some professional mentors who've been down the road, right? Like I've signed up for jobs where I took a lower salary and a higher equity, and then the job didn't work out, right? And so I was like, dang, I would have been a lot better off taking, you know, 15% higher comp uh, because the reality is I'll never realize any of this value uh, from this company. So Matt Matt sounds like the guy who's like, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not giving you, I'm I'm not giving you health, but, but go talk to a financial planner. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to, by the way, if millions of people listen to the podcast, Matt right now would be getting thrashed on social for first world. (laughs) Uh, I can't wait. Oh, yeah. You didn't mean it that way. You know, I may become the most problematic uh, uh, host on this show. Might become. So the, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't think there's an easy answer to that, Judd. Nope. Because you, um, and so I would agree with Matt. Everyone's situation is different. I'll just tell you how many times that um, in the non head, like there's, there's, these gold rush moments in tech where it's like everything works. Uh, we're not in that right now. I mean, there's companies that'll work, but it's like, you can't just throw your money out there. And it just seems like, um, you know, in blackjack, every time I double down on our 10 or 11, I get like a five. It's like, I get a five every time. And it's, and it's like, I always feel like in my head, like the, the gods of gambling are like, you're getting greedy. And, um, uh, and so, uh, I, I'm, I don't, you know, I like, I really kind of scared to even give this advice, but I do, I do think like, depends where you live to like, as Matt said, like, yeah, I'll just back it up. People keep getting raises and they don't, they're not better off here. I mean, they're all way, 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 I'm sorry. They're all way off. They're, they're doing great. Right. But like it, that, that extra amount of money in this really expensive place is, is kind of tough. So it's hard to, Imagine. And everywhere's getting expensive now. I mean, yeah, it's hard to imagine everyone going all in on their chips only. Yeah. It's hard to imagine that. Um, there is I, nothing like uh, like showing up to work on that day and being there at 6 a.m. if you're on the West Coast and, you know, your CEO's in the in the box ringing it, ringing it in the IPO. I mean, there's truly nothing like it. Uh, similarly, there's nothing like, you know, getting yeah. a deal transacted and being acquired and uh, you know, when that check just clears on a random Tuesday and you're like, whoa, that's super great. There, there's also nothing like uh, doubling down on your equity, buying it and it costing you more than you want. Yeah, I think there's truly nothing like that. That is the, <laughs> like the, the pain is worse than the joy. Oh, it's so bad. Yeah. And a lot of people probably are like, damn, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, I mean, this is a problem that a lot of people understand right now, you know, like. One of the things that we don't often talk about when when we look at the landscape over the last year with layoffs is like 
there's a lot of people that had probably early exercised some of their stock and like worthless now. Yep. I mean, that is that is truly brutal. So uh, I empathize with anybody who's been through that. I've been through it. Yeah, a lot of us have. So guys, we we are at time and hopefully we touch on a couple good topics for you guys. We'd love to hear from you. Like what topics are hot? What do you want us to discuss? And who do you want us to bring on the show? We've got some amazing guests coming, but let us know. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. We're going to talk to you again real soon. And uh, with that, we're out. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to GTM Unfiltered. To hear our innovative insights and strategies, visit gtmunfiltered.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time.